Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sayreville podcast. Uh, uh, my name is Pastor Paul Seymour. I'm the pastor of music here. If you don't know me, and this is Pastor Kurt uh, DeGraff. He's my good friend here, our counseling pastor, and uh, just preached this past Sunday, Pastor Kurt. And just a really uh, encouraging message to me personally, I know to a lot of people. Um, and the message was entitled, is, is Salvation Really Forever? And just tackled this, this question, this fear, you know, that a lot of people have that I've struggled with, that Pastor Kurt has struggled with, that many yeah. of you have probably struggled with. And that is, when I'm saved, am I saved forever? Is God going to let me go uh, yeah. from my salvation when I mess up enough, uh, when I fall? Is he going to say, well had enough of Paul, I think he's gone. Um, so he really addressed that question, it was super encouraging, and it uh, just basically comes down to, which he'll elaborate on, that, that our salvation is dependent on Christ, right? That's right. And not, uh, not on ourselves. And so uh, today we just want <clears throat> to tackle the chore of, of just uh, opening some, uh, some, some tricky questions maybe that come out of this sermon that uh, maybe didn't have uh, the extra four hours or so to go into <laughs> during the sermon. Uh, but uh, that's what we're going to tackle today. So uh, the first one I want to tackle here today is some, some challenging texts in Scripture, some pieces of Scripture uh, that might lead us to think something else other than what uh, Pastor Kurt brought out in the sermon on Sunday. So uh, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 12, all right, and then uh, Pastor Kurt's going to elaborate on this for you, okay? So Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to read, if you'd like to, if you're able to, uh, at home or wherever you are, Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. And I'm reading from the New King James Version here. It says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges." But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Verse 31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, this is really a tough one for a lot of people because mm -hmm. Scripture talks about what is commonly referred to as the unpardonable sin. Okay, so Pastor Kurt... Uh, you're going to speak to that. Uh, can we commit the unpardonable sin? Will we be estranged from God if we happen to stumble into this? What, what do you say? That is the question that we're dealing with in this particular text. <clears throat> and welcome, everybody. I'm so glad to have you aboard today. A lot of folks do wrestle 
with texts like this, fearful that they have committed the unpardonable sin, or as it sometimes is called, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In context, Jesus, of course, during his earthly ministry, is performing miracles. He's healing people. He's cleansing lepers. He's raising the dead. Obviously, these are results of a supernatural act of God, in particular, the Holy Spirit working through the ministry of Jesus. And yet the Pharisees, who were very, if you will, um, biased against Jesus, were accusing him of doing this by the power of Beelzebub or Satan. And Jesus tries to reason them with them by saying, hey, you, you can't break into a strong man's house, uh, a mighty man, without first binding him, and then you can loot the place. The illustration comes alive when he likens it to Satan, who is overseeing all of the satanic and demonic kingdoms. And obviously, Jesus was binding the devil in performing these miracles. And that was, or should have been, obvious to all of the people if they would have just been honest with themselves. So, technically speaking, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or the unpardonable sin, was attributing to the power of the devil what the Holy Spirit did through Jesus in his ministry. From a technical point of view, it would not really be possible to commit this sin today because Jesus would have to be here on earth working in person for us to observe these miracles going on if it were to follow the pattern of Matthew chapter 12. And yet there's a sense in which by default, this sin continues because people do deny the power of Jesus Christ and do deny the fact of his claims to be the son of the living God and hence commit the unpardonable sin of rejecting him as Savior and Lord. You read a verse in there that suggested that any sin, any unbelief against the Son of Man, i.e. Jesus, could be forgiven. I need to explain that for a moment. That means if a person had been ignorant of what Jesus had done in his miracle-working power, until they were instructed, otherwise, that sin could be forgiven. But if they'd been exposed to the miracle-working power of Jesus, then they would have no excuse whatsoever. And that's what was happening in this text. The power of the Holy Spirit was so manifest, no one could really deny it, but the Pharisees were. And as a result, they were rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting God, and they were committing this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, which could not, which would not be forgiven. Is it possible for believers like you and me to commit this sin? The answer is no. <laughs> there is no Christian that can commit some sort of dastardly deed that God will not forgive. That's really important for us to understand. Now, there's other debatable texts in the Bible that often confuse Christians, too. I'm going to allude to one in Hebrews chapter 6. Mm -hmm. It's well-known, highly, hotly debated. It seems to sound in verses 4 through 9 of Hebrews 6 like a person who's been genuinely saved could fall lose away. their salvation. Fall away is mm -hmm. the word that's used. Mm -hmm. Apostatize. Uh, if you look at the context, it, it does admittedly sound like a person has really experienced the Lord's saving grace, the language that's employed. They've tasted. They've, they've tasted 
They've been enlightened. Mm -hmm. But does that, in fact, mean they were genuinely born again? You've got Hebrew Christians, quote-unquote, professing Christians, who when persecution came, backed away from following Jesus. They'd been all around it. They'd seen the miracle-working power of Jesus. They'd experienced some of the fellowship that God's people enjoyed together. And they were even involved for a while, perhaps in the, quote, work of Jesus. But then when the problems came, they backed away and they rejected for fear of losing their own lives or losing their possessions. Now, the question that we're posing here is, can someone lose their salvation who gets this close to the truth and seemingly professes faith and seems like maybe they were truly saved? Uh, I just want to read you a portion of Matthew, or I should say Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 7 through 9, which helps explain. The writer to the Hebrews uses the illustration, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But, in contrast, if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, here's my interpretation of this passage. Verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, writing to these Hebrew believers, we feel sure of better things of you <laughs> and things that accompany salvation. Mm -hmm. Ah, there it is. He's saying, no, you're not like these people who look like, who sound like, who maybe smell like they're truly believers, mm -hmm. but they're not. When push comes to shove, they don't continue in the faith. They walk away. He says, I don't believe you guys fit into this category. Again, he says, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Mm -hmm. Those who are truly in Christ will not, in the end, reject him. Paul, let me ask you this question, um, because there are genuine Christians who do sin egregiously. The, the question is, what would you tell them if they are truly in Christ and they know they've messed up, maybe even for a prolonged period of time? What would you tell them to make it right, to get it right? Mm -hmm. well, we talked about, Pastor Kurt and I talked about earlier, just how a lot of our problems and our Things that we struggle through are, are uh, one of the root causes is a misunderstanding of God's character, of, of who he is um, in his character. And I always think, the first thing that sprung to mind as we talked about this a little bit earlier was just the, the parable of the prodigal son, right? There's the, there's the picture of, of God, the, the father, and there's a picture of the child of God who says, basically says, uh, I wish dad was dead. That's basically what he says to him, giving my inheritance. And if you know the story, he goes off and he uh, spends everything the Bible says with, uh, what does the, the King James say, the riotous living, I think is what it says. <laughs> um, he spends everything on prostitutes and on all the pleasures. And basically he's living in sin and ends up as, if you know the story, in the, in the pig pen, wallowing in the filth. And he says... I'm going back to my father. He finally comes to a place of, of repentance and runs back to his father, plans on saying, you know, and does make me one of your hired servants. But what does the father do? Um, the picture of the father with open arms running towards his son. Um, I think that that's a, a real picture that we can 
can look to if if you've been in grievous sin even for a long period of time you've been wallowing in that that pigsty you've spent everything and you found it completely unsatisfying um run back to the father you know run back to the father with open arms that's the the picture i see um the, the character of God, you know, I, I've talked about this in sermons before, even on podcasts before, but Psalm 103, one of my favorite parts of Psalm mm-hmm. 103 is he doesn't yeah. treat us as our sins deserve. You know, you, whatever you've been living in or however you've been running from God, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He welcomes us back as we repent in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, so to, 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 to run back to him, recognize who he is, confess our sins, uh, both to the Lord and those we've sinned against as well. We need to confess our sins to them as well. And then I would just say, you know, communion uh, with God uh, on, a, on a daily basis. You know, I think it's in Job. Uh, I have esteemed your word more than my necessary food, he says. Amen. You know, it's, it is, it's that important, more than my daily meal. This is what I need. I need God every day. So... Being in his word and then, you know, Hebrews actually tells us don't forsake the assembly of believers. So there's there's community with with uh, Christian brothers and sisters, with with saints uh, that are going to encourage you. That's what that scripture talks about. Uh, and, and just to uh, just to be around people that will sharpen you, that will encourage you, that will keep pushing you on. So uh, it's such an encouraging. So many passages of scripture are encouraging that God is a God that forgives that heals, he binds up wounds, he, he brings us back uh, into the, the sheepfold. So that's the kind of, that's the kind of father we have, um, not a father that says, you know, you screwed up so much, you're out. He's saying, if you want to come back, come on back. Yeah. My arms are open wide to you. Mm. I'm a forgiving God. You need to repent, but he's so forgiving. He resists the proud, but it's he gives grace. grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. Humble yourself, run back into his loving arms. You'll be openly embraced and the church Mm-hmm. The real church of Jesus Christ, who knows their own sinfulness and forgiveness, will embrace you as well. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. So, but speaking of these uh, <clears throat> grievous sins, um, another topic we wanted to talk about today is uh, is just that grievous sins, specifically among these these uh, spectacular fails that we've really seen. Uh, in the media and among Christian leadership, uh, more more so with uh, very visible Christian leadership. Um, there's been several cases, some were alluded to in some of the sermons recently here. Um, there's been uh, Josh Joshua Harris who uh, who um, denied Christ after you know being a prolific author and speaker. Uh, Abraham Piper, uh, John Piper's son. Um, and uh, even something that hits my generation, I told you about, you didn't really know who he was, I don't think, but uh, <laughs> Kevin Max, even recently, he was a member of DC Talk, now believes in some sort of universal Christ and not necessarily the Christ of the Bible. But probably the most, um, the most uh, visible, I, I don't, visible, I was going to say yeah. shining example, but that's probably <clears throat> not right. Uh, visible <clears throat> example would be Robbie Zacharias, yeah. whom you spoke about. And uh, yeah. Myself, having read him and listened to him in his years of ministry, if you don't know who Ravi is uh, or was, he's passed now just this last year um, after a battle with cancer. But uh, he was pretty much the most renowned apologist of our time, Christian apologist of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see many videos on YouTube of him going to college campuses and debating, um, and just his intellect was overwhelming, and his grasp of Scripture, mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. Kurt, was just... Wow, he, this guy knows his stuff. 
but then it came to light after his death um, that he was living a very immoral lifestyle for years and years with women all over the globe, basically. And so this has really rocked a lot of people. And mm. it does rock a lot of people when yes. we have people that we set on a pedestal or respect or listen to um, and they fall. And uh, this is this is a really strong case in point. So, so Kurt, just want you to speak to that. How, how do we how do we react? How do we react when our, our world is rocked there by by these leaders, these luminaries yeah. that fall? It is very unsettling to say the least mm -hmm. when people you highly respect, some people would even say Ravi was instrumental in bringing them to Christ. Yeah. And then he lives a double lifestyle. He's he's a hypocrite. What, what does that mean to our own faith? And to the point of what we're discussing today, what does it mean about his faith? Yeah. Is, is Ravi in heaven? Uh, I'm gonna speak about him and some others tangentially. Um, specifically about Ravi, I wrote this down. We, we must stop short of making an identity or an identity and an ultimate destiny about Ravi, which really is only known to God. God knows we do not. His real identity, his ultimate destiny, is known only to God. Only God can see the heart. Probably the best thing I can do, Paul, is to make some observations here uh, about uh, the subject matter we're discussing as it relates to someone like Ravi or other people like him. You can't lose your salvation, but you can fake your faith. That's an interesting phenomenon to consider. Um, I love to compare a passage I quoted on Sunday from John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and him being the overseer of the sheep, namely us. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I, I pause to define the terms there. <clears throat> Excuse me. When he said, I, I know them, the Greek word gnosko, I know them intimately. I, I know them personally. Uh, I know them salvifically. That is, they really do belong to me. He makes a strong statement. I, I, I know them. Now, you compare that with Matthew chapter 7, a classic passage where Jesus talks about, many will say to me in that day, <laughs> you know, um, Lord, Lord, have I not done many amazing works in your name? I've, I've cast out demons, and, and frankly, I've, I, I performed miracles. Judas probably did that sort of a thing. Yeah. And uh, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And then he concludes that little section there in Matthew 7, 21 to 23 by saying, then I will say to them, you workers of iniquity, I never, never knew you. Ah, there it is. He knows those who are genuinely his. But just because folks make a profession, even maybe a spectacular profession, 
He would say of some of them, even miracle workers, I, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. It's important for us to, to understand that. Um, I, I want to read for you what Jesus had to say about this particular subject matter. Uh, this is found in, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> that is the appearance that they are followers, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is, of course, no. So every healthy tree <clears throat> bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. As the older versions put it, by their fruits, you will know them. Mm-hmm. Our fruits tell on us. They, they reveal whether or not we're truly in the Lord. In uh, the parable of the soils, Jesus talked about the seed falling on four different kinds of soil. First one's hard pan, kind of like this, does not penetrate. Uh, second one was basically a thin veneer of soil over a rocky uh, subterranean amount of, of, of uh, shall we say, foundation. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was the, the weedy soil. Mm-hmm. And uh, in soil types number two and three, there is a profession of faith, mm-hmm. but it never germinates. Because in the first case, there's persecution and there's difficulty and they fall away. In the second case, the one of the thorny soil, the weedy soil, it, it likens it to the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Mm-hmm. They choke out the word so it becomes unprofitable. Mm-hmm. But in soil type number four, the good soil, when the soil is germinated with, with the seed, it says it produces fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. The amount of fruit may vary. Mm-hmm. But there will be fruit for someone who's truly in Christ. By their fruits, you will know them. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Mm. There is a passage where we we need to address what we would call life-dominating sins that, if you will, continue over the entire trajectory of an entire life. And what does that mean? Well, I think that would be a negative indicator that someone's truly not saved, even if they profess, even if they make a spectacular splash in the kingdom of God in, in ministry. <clears throat> let, let me read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through, through 10, what uh, the apostle has to say about this subject. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking here about perfection, but he's talking about direction. The bent of their life is bent toward life-dominating sins for which they never repent. Um, What is the difference between a prodigal and a pretender? The prodigal comes back. The pretender never does. Judas was a pretender. 
he took his own life without repenting. Peter, who denied the Lord, came back mm -hmm. and was used mightily by the Lord even on the day of Pentecost. So what about these well-known fails? Rabbi Zacharias, another one from uh, the middle of the 20th century, a man by the name of Karl Barth, as they would say in German, a famous Swiss theologian, mm -hmm. was a professor at a prestigious institution in Germany, a neo-Orthodox, kind of, if you will, a pseudo-evangelical. Interestingly, he kept a mistress at home for decades, along with his long-suffering wife. Whoa. Uh, that's very, very telling, to be sure. What about, you mentioned Josh Harris, or what about mm -hmm. Abraham Piper? Mm -hmm. I think they outed themselves. They openly rejected Jesus Christ. They just have turned into, in Abraham's case, a blasphemer, saying, I don't believe that. And Josh says, I don't believe that anymore. They outed themselves. 1 John 2, 9 says, 19 says that they went out from us because they were never of us. Mm -hmm. If they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us to, to illustrate, to demonstrate the fact that they never, ever were truly part of us. So, <clears throat> for those of you who, who are struggling with thinking about these, these giants of the faith, quote-unquote, who spectacularly fall and fail like a, like a falling star... Uh, I want to say to you that not everyone who is in ministry is in Christ. Wow. I mean, Jesus talks about that a lot in, in the Gospels. Judas was in ministry for three, three and a half years with Jesus, with Jesus <laughs> performing miracles. Hmm. He was on Jesus' staff. Wow. And he was controlled by the devil hmm. and became known as the son of perdition. Again, there's a difference between a prodigal and a pretender. I probably need to say just a word here about um, the word apostate, apostatize. That's a word that means you totally reject, you totally throw overboard, you totally walk away from, you totally fall from what you once professed. Those are the ones that will not inherit the kingdom of God. They reject Jesus. There's no sacrifice for sins. That was happening to some of the people uh, alluded to in the book of Hebrews that I mentioned earlier. Um, I, I want to read you some insights from a, a favorite author of mine. Uh, his name is Erwin Lutzer, pastor emeritus of the Moody Church in Chicago, former professor at Moody Bible Institute. I'm just going to read you a few excerpts. What do we make of Ravi Zacharias? He did a podcast on that. Let me just read you some quotes. He's talking about Christians considering our own sin, our own lives. What impact does this have on us? He said, first, we should stand amazed at the evil deceptions of the human heart. When the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9, it means just what it says. Someone put it this way. I love this. Just when you think you have reached the bottom of the evil within the human heart, there's a trap door under your feet. And you realize that there's another layer beneath you, a basement of deception, and then another, and another. Do we truly know our own hearts? Never underestimate the evil we're capable of. 
revelations about Ravi should cause us to shudder and to take heed lest we fall, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And then he goes on to say, we must realize that the most important part of who we are is that which no one ever sees, namely the mind and the heart. Who was Ravi Zacharias? He was not the brilliant apologist everyone admired. The real Ravi was the one who he was when standing before God, nothing less and nothing more. There's a reality that even when we think we're alone, we're never really alone. Conclude with he uh, quotes from the famous 18th century evangelist George Whitfield, who requested that these words be put on his own tombstone. Love this. Whitfield said of himself, Here, what he wanted on his tombstone, here lies G.W. What sort of man he was, the great day we'll discover. Mr. Paul, um, you've been affected by friends and ministry and your personal or family life that have fallen egregiously. Um, how, how did you process that kind of thing? Um, well, to be real honest, I mean, I, I shed a lot of tears, um, especially early on um, when, when friends, you know, people you think you know, um, aren't exactly who you thought they were. Um, it gives a lot of pause and gives a lot of grief. Um, so I shed a lot of tears um, with, with several uh, men that I've known in my life. Um, I'm, I'm, I remember the fact that, you know, the, the Lord knows who are his, as Pastor Pat often says here, so really, he reminds us, the Lord knows who, who are his. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful that, you know, the, the ministry of those men um, is is still uh, valid because it was God's word, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and you know, encouraged by the fact that those men had been used by God. But also, with the the falls and the disobedience, makes me very cognizant of, fa of the fact of my own trapdoor <laughs> of of what I'm capable of. You know, that Scripture tells us to uh, to him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So watch your feet. Um, watch my own life. So it's really made me do a lot of, uh, who am I really? Who, who am I um, behind closed doors, you know, with my family, with, with myself, whatever I'm doing, who am I really? Am I, am I uh, following the Lord and just re reflecting on what I'm capable of if I don't cling to the Lord? Um, but I, I'm thankful, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul talked about people that were preaching Christ and they were preaching Christ what he said to, to add, basically add to his chains. He was in prison, you know, to add to his burden of being in prison. And what did Paul say? He said, I'm paraphrasing, but well, mm -hmm. it, whether in pretense or in truth, mm -hmm. Christ is being preached. And so I'm going to be happy about that. I'm going to, I'm going to rejoice in that because the gospel is the gospel is the gospel, whether it comes off um, <clears throat> the lips of a, of a man who turns or the lips of a man who is, is following the gospel still makes a difference. And so I'm thankful for that in those instances. And and the instance of, you know, some of you may be thinking about Ravi Zacharias or these other people that maybe you have been influenced even to to follow hard after God or even to be saved. And that the message of the gospel is no less valid. It still makes a difference. 
uh, be, even though it comes off of, of men who may have fallen. So be encouraged in that way, and I'm encouraged in that way. But I want to just add a quick word here. Um, I, I like to read and listen to other sound Bible teachers, their insights on people like Ravi. Mm-hmm. Uh, John MacArthur said, you know, in watching his ministry over the years, I noticed that he put a whole lot less emphasis on Scripture and a whole lot more emphasis on philosophical thought. Intellect. Intellect. And John Piper said, I, I noticed that Ravi would use himself as illustrations with regularity, and he dropped names <laughs> about people he'd hobnobbed with, greats of the day, intellectuals of the day, and he really put that forth as maybe one of his credentials. Um, I think about TV preachers who are spectacular in personality and charisma, and they are so good at communicating, and they sway multitudes, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, because they are so impressive in the way they come across and how they talk. But I love this quote from Ray Ortland. He said, the longer I live, the more I respect gentleness and the less I respect swagger. Don't get impressed by swagger. Get impressed by scripture. Jesus talked about being the servant of all, right? Yeah. Um, uh, John the Baptist said he must increase, I must decrease. You know, those men that really made a difference were the ones that were willing to, as Jesus, get down and wash feet. So, well, we're going to move towards the end here a little bit with one more topic. Yeah. And uh, that is is this. This is the, uh, the problem of suffering. Um, many of us have gone through uh, different kinds of suffering. If you live long enough, you will go through some sort of suffering, whether it's physical or mental, emotional um, you're going to go through some suffering, and, and we're tempted in those times in our humanity to say, God has forgotten me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of you know some of the Psalms. You know, the psalmist is saying, well, will you hide your face forever? You know. Um, so as we ask the question of Scripture here, has God forgotten us in times of suffering? Um, we'll more read a passage of Scripture, and then we're going to get your reaction to it, maybe you can kind of unpack that for us a little bit. And it's found in Romans chapter 8, if you're able to, to read there with us, uh, you can. And it's uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. This is what it says, God's Word. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, has God given up on us in our midst of suffering, Pastor Kurt? You can give the short answer and then give a long answer. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll cut to the chase there. Um, This passage is written in Romans 8, the 
premier text on eternal security to remind us that we will go through difficulty. It's part of God's curriculum for us as Christians. Mm. We cannot escape it. In fact, I think American Christianity in their attempt toward cultural comfort Mm. has forgotten that, I wrote this down, suffering is a requirement of those who travel the road to heaven. Mm. In, In fact, earlier in our text in Romans 8, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, listen to this. Provided, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, say no to himself, take up his cross, it implies suffering and death, and follow me. Yes, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, which is alluded to in the passage that you read, Paul. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Um, The apostle uses a figure of speech called merism here, going from one extreme to the other, but it's inclusive of everything in between as well. He says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. We're super conquerors through him that loved us. Now watch this from here to here. I am sure that neither death nor life, Mm -hmm. circumstances surrounding death and circumstances of life from one extreme to the other, nor angels nor rulers. He's talking about good angels versus demons Mm -hmm. nor things present or things to come past, present and future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. Take encouragement, Christian, if you're suffering, that God ordains it for his purposes to make us more like Jesus. And it's actually a mark, it's a badge of honor to those who suffer for the cause of Christ. No, it does not mean that God has turned his back on us and said, I'm done with you. I've forgotten you. I've forsaken you. It does not mean that whatsoever. Suffering can make us bitter or better. Paul, you've gone through some suffering in your life. Variety of ways. What did you do? How did you fight for joy when you felt like God was distant toward you? Yeah. And we've talked about this before in in different podcasts and and, um, encourage that those have helped some people um, Mm -hmm. as we've struggled through some of those things. But I would say just a few things in brief, the things that really jumped to mind um, is, I don't want to be, you know, flippant or or simplistic about it, but the Word of God, God's promises, uh, God's character, as I talked about a little bit earlier, who He is. I have to be reminded of who God is uh, and who I am. um, In comparison to God, in my character, in comparison to God, yeah, He's so far above me. Um, and yet he loves me, you know, that, that's why I encourage people to find joy in the midst of what I went through. We were, we were talking about depression, things like that, but um, and, and in other circumstances with medical issues with my family and things. Uh, but just going to God in, in Psalm 103 is one of the ones that has been, I've said it before, my lifeline psalm, really. Um, but just reminds us who God is. He, he, as I said before, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's, if I'm in Christ, he's separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. There's one of those other impossible uh, impossible measurements there. Um, he remembers, as, as a father 
pities his children, so the Lord pities us. Um, yeah. I, I just love all those promises about God. So it takes my mind in those times of especially emotional suffering. It takes my mind from woe is me, all this stuff that is happening to me, 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 and it makes me go, who is God? And then even though he's so great and so far above me, he still condescends to me, still gives me mercy, still doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. And I, so I just love that. Going to his word, his promises, his character. Um, and then the another one I thought of was just worshiping. And um, worshiping, you know, that, that vertical aspect of worship. God, you are um, great. You are long-suffering. You are omniscient. You are omnipresent you you are graceful towards us you are you have sacrificed your son all these things god knows all that but why do we do it he wants us to do it in obedience and part of that is reminding ourselves who he is so it's just a, a, when i worship when i for me I, I love to sing um even when it's hard to sing um was just uh able to to sing with my grandma on her couch after my grandfather passed away one of the best musical times of my life just honestly. a week or so ago yeah, yeah and just to sit there with her and even when she couldn't sing real um i don't, I don't want to say she wouldn't sing real well she sings just fine but couldn't in the moment with with what she was going through but just to sing and worship and refocus my heart and and hopefully those around me on um you know that scripture of the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places i have a have a good heritage from the Lord, you know, just to reflect on what God has, has done is what worship does. And um, I think another s simple thing that maybe get overlooked is just work. I did three W's there for this is the pastoral thing. So <laughs> good. the last one was just work. And that's um, is just a, a, a great man once told me, <laughs> um, do the next right thing. And that's that's a simple way of just, uh, you know, what, what is God's will for my life? Do the next right thing, the next thing God brings across your path. Um, in, in the book of Hebrews, I'm reminded, and, and I have to remind myself in this, in, in the way of how do you find joy when, you, when things feel dry, when things feel stagnant. I remember that God says he is a rewarder of those who, what, earnestly seek him. And sometimes that earnestly is plowing through the dry seasons and obeying and doing the next right thing and taking the next right step in that season, um, understanding that God always comes through in his promises. And when he rewards, he says he's going to reward, he's going to reward. And so um, it's, it's that childlike faith to say, I, I don't feel, I don't feel, you know, as, as far as your feelings go, I don't feel happy or I don't feel content or, or whatever it is right now. But God, I'm going to obey you with my next step, and then the next one, and then the next one, and uh, pretty soon, you know, that joy comes in the morning. So, contentment is a choice, not a circumstance. Amen. And uh, we don't live by experiences; we live by the Word of God. That's right. Promises of God's Word. Emotions lie to you, but they God's do. Word is. Uh, eternal and never fails remember our savior suffered here in good company yeah. as you follow him jesus said narrow is the gate and hard is the way mm -hmm. that leads to life few there be that find it because they don't like that pathway of suffering but it is the pathway of christ yeah. and we're going to follow his example to fill up the sufferings of christ as per the book of colossians
we, we must say, Lord, I don't understand, this hurts, but I'm going to trust you. Even when I cannot see or feel, I'm going to trust you. And I'm, I'm reminded, too, of, you know, someone, I forget who the quote was, but someone had asked the question, the age-old question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer was, well, it only happened once, and he volunteered, right? <laughs> That's right. Jesus volunteered to go through that suffering, and, and we, as we follow him, we have to go through those, too. So like you said, it's a, it's a mark of the believer. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that, that we have that hope, that eternal hope, even in suffering. He's gone before us. Amen. Uh, this past weekend, while I preached, I was going through a personal trial. <clears throat> I will not share the details of that, but I asked God for grace and strength, and He was really kind and merciful to grant it to me. Mm -hmm. I wrapped my message around that song, Christ Will Hold Me Fast. Hold me fast. And even as I sang, preparing to preach, those lyrics ministered to my soul. Mm -hmm. They'll not just hold me fast for salvation, they'll hold me fast for security, and they'll hold me fast in suffering. Christ will hold me fast. That's, that's our anchor of the soul that uh, gets us through those difficult deep water experiences. Yeah. We were talking earlier about how the best sermons are the ones that you preach to yourself. You know, the yeah. ones that really impact other people are the ones you preach to yourself, and you were doing that. I thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for watching our podcast today. We're delighted that you joined us. Uh, love and appreciate, Pastor Paul. Thank you for your contribution you. and your help here. Thank you. uh, Tanner's the man behind the camera. <laughs> we appreciate Tanner so much and all of his excellent work. Yeah. I asked the question at the start of the sermon, uh, is uh, salvation really forever? And the answer is, yeah. yes, it is. As Romans chapter 8 concludes, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one can take us out of his hand. You can take that to the bank. That's right. Amen.